Good. good morning to you all this Lord's Day morning. It's good to see you all here and be worshiping our God together. Turn with me, if you would, to our Old Testament reading, Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 45. is our Old Testament text. We're continuing to think about the mission of the church. Um, Daniel chapter 2 here looks forward to the kingdom of Christ coming and uh, points us to our New Testament text, which we'll read in a few minutes, Colossians 1.28, which looks more, more explicitly at, uh, at the mission of the church as far as uh, discipleship and maturity as Christians, uh, which is what we're considering today. So let's start here with Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 45. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. 
Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, He's given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours and another a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Our New Testament reading, our sermon text this morning, Colossians 1. We're going to read 24 through 29 for the context, but it's verse 28 in particular that will be the focus of the sermon this morning. Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to our hearts. Oh, our God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the great King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you have revealed the wonderful mystery of your gospel to us in Christ. We thank you that you've shown us salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would open up our hearts to receive it, that you would would make us tender to receive your word and trust you, our God, and to love you and serve you with all that we have and all that we are. Show us our Lord Jesus Christ and all his sufficiency for us as a perfect Savior. And Lord, strengthen us for the work you've called us to do in, in response to him. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. In a book of essays uh, written in honor of the theologian and pastor, writer, John Piper, um, I I read this from one author. Uh, It said this, I've lived three doors down from John Piper for over 20 years. 
I recall a mutual friend once laughingly remarking to me, it must be like living next door to a nuclear reactor. And given my neighbors, that's John Piper's, intense, restless, competitive, probing, and usual forceful impact on others, and his high-powered, virtual, non-stop generation of compelling spoken or written words, I do see the aptness of Piper the power plant. Um, I read those words quite a while ago, and they, they struck me. Uh, uh, I thought it was a good metaphor for Piper. But as I was, as I was considering Colossians 1 and these verses we just read here, um, they remind me of someone else, much before Piper, who was a power plant himself. Uh, no one less than the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest power plants, if you will, in the history of the church, full of, full of zeal and, and ambition and, 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 uh, and relentless devotion to Christ and relentless commitment to do whatever Christ has called him to do. Um, you read the book of Acts, you see, you see this in him. He's a man on a mission uh, to bring the gospel of Christ to, to the nations. But he's not doing it in his own strength. He's doing this mission, but he's not doing it in his own strength. He's doing it by the strength of the Spirit. We read in verse 29, he says, To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I want to ask, as we begin, what goal is so critical and worthwhile that Paul is expending every ounce of his spirit-wrought energy to achieve? And what goal is so critical and worthwhile for us that we should be spending every ounce of our spirit-given energy uh, to achieve? What's the goal that we should have in mind? The goal Paul has in mind. The goal the Spirit has in mind. And Colossians 1.28 says it's maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. Perfection in Christ. Uh, coming to that place where we are what God wants us to be. That's the goal that, uh, that we're aiming at. That's what discipleship is. Um, it's, it's following Jesus and following Him all the way to heaven until we've been made perfect and mature in, in Him. Uh, Paul tells us four things about this mission here. His mission, which is also uh, what our mission should be. And uh, he gives us four things. I want to look at the message the method, the audience, and the aim. The message, the method, the audience, and the aim. Four headings as we work through just verse 28 here in particular. The message, the method, the audience, and the aim. First of all, the message. Um, if you could ask Paul, Paul, what do you preach? Um, what, is, what is your message, Paul? He might, he might smile and say, well, that's not quite the right question. Um, you shouldn't ask me, uh, what, what do I preach? What message do I preach? But, but whom do I preach? Who's the person I'm proclaiming? His, his message is a person. His, his message is not just uh, about Christ, but actually Christ himself. He says, him, Christ, we preach. Him, we preach. Verse 28, him, we preach. Paul's been building up to this statement since uh, for a few verses now. In verse, in verse 26, if you look back in the context a little bit, um, he's, he's been talking about the mystery that's hidden for ages and now at last is revealed. And he's proclaiming Christ as, as this mystery. Mystery is an important word 
in, in the New Testament. It's, a, it's an exciting word, isn't it? Uh, we're intrigued by mysteries. We want to know what, what, what happened, who did it? Um, it you know, in these, uh, these mystery dramas we watch, everyone's drawn to mysteries. Um, the Colossians were as well. This church that Paul's writing to, Colossae, this church he's writing this letter to, uh, there, there was some false teaching going around about mysteries, that there were some secret things about God that only the, the elite could know. Uh, that 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 if you if you if you um, uh, if you really really were close to God if you were a super Christian you could find out these these mysteries the deep mysteries that ordinary Christians didn't have. Um, but Paul, Paul's combating that. He's saying, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's, that's not the mystery. That's the great mystery. Uh, the, the, the real mystery, the big secret, is the one that's been revealed, made plain in Christ. Um, it's the mystery that's been there all along since Genesis chapter 3, but it's been slowly more and more revealed. And now with Christ, the curtains are drawn back, the lights come on, and the whole, the whole thing is flooded with light, and you can see it clearly, this, this mystery. It's the mystery we, we saw a little bit in Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel is talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord has given him this, this dream that he's, that, he's, uh, that he's given Daniel the ability to understand. And, and Daniel says the Lord is the one who reveals mysteries. And the mystery there is the kingdom of Christ that comes and expands like that mountain over the whole, over the whole world. And Paul here, picking up on this idea, is, is saying God is the one who reveals this mystery. And he says in verse 7, the mystery is Christ. The hope of glory. Christ gone out to the whole world. Christ the Savior of Jews and Gentiles, men and women. Christ in you. Hope of glory. This, Paul says, this, this Christ, Him we proclaim, Him we preach. In verse 28. Every sermon Paul preaches, every letter Paul writes to the churches is all about this Christ. It's all proclaiming Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He is salvation. He is the glorious, wondrous mystery that has been revealed. And, and, and it's all about not, not just Jesus abstractly, but, but, but Christ in you, Jesus in you, Jesus for you. Paul's favorite description of the Christian life is that it, it's the life that's in Christ, the life that's hidden in Christ, united with Christ. Um, the whole gospel all of it for Paul and all of it for us is, is found in Jesus Christ. None of, of, of the benefits of, of, of the gospel are found outside of Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, then you have everything that God has to give. If you have Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Christ, you have everything that God can give in Him. There's no more outside of Him. It's all in Him. And if you have Him, you have that. Sinclair Ferguson says, all spiritual blessings are ours immediately and simultaneously in Him. So what else can Paul preach? What else is there to preach except this Christ in whom are all the, 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 all, all the blessings that God has to give? Only Jesus. There's no, there's no other gospel, no other salvation, no other message for us to say. So Paul says, we preach Christ. One of the old writers puts it like this, commenting on this verse. He says, Jesus Christ alone furnishes Paul with all that is necessary to pacify our consciences, to make glad our hearts, to raise our hopes, to confirm our faith, 
to inflame our love, to enkindle our zeal, and to establish our constancy, to encourage our patience, to purify our affections, to loosen us from the earth and lift us up to heaven. Jesus Christ is all his logic and all his rhetoric. What is there that is in any way good or great or excellent which is not in Jesus Christ? He alone should occupy the tongues of preachers and the faith of their hearers. Jesus Christ. He's the message. And this means, remember Paul's aim, which we're going to get to in a little bit, about maturity, discipleship, following Christ, Christ-likeness. The aim of that, of, of that discipleship only happens when you're in union with this Christ, when you have this Christ, when you're walking by, by faith in this Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the message. Do you have Christ? Put your faith in Christ? Is He yours? That's the message. The second thing we see here is the, is the method. How do we get this message about Christ across? How do we, how do we preach Christ? Um, what's Paul's method? The next phrase in the, in the verse here, verse 28, spells it out for us. Um, through warning and teaching and all wisdom, Paul says. Warning, warning and teaching, both of them done in all wisdom. As Paul preaches Christ, he warns and he teaches. He, he warns, first of all. He's not a timid preacher. Uh, Paul doesn't pull punches. He's not preaching to please men. He's preaching Christ. And he loves Christ too much. And he loves those whom he preaches to too much, the church too much, not to warn them and not, not, not to challenge them. Like a parent, right? You see your child running towards danger. You warn them because you love them. And so Paul, Paul does. What, what does Paul warn about? He says this is a fundamental aspect of his ministry. What does he warn about? See this in other, other places in his writings. He, he warns about the consequences of sin. He warns about the dangers of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, Paul warns against those things, against sin. He warns about the wrath of God revealed from heaven. He warns about the wrath of God that's coming. Colossians 3.6, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He warns about hell, the dangers of the wrath of God in, in hell itself. Second Thessalonians 1, he says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Paul warns about these things constantly in his ministry, warning people to flee the wrath of God, run to the grace of God. He warns about losing your grip on the gospel, about sliding and, and, and drifting and letting go of the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, I'm astonished, he says, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's warning all the time in his ministry, you can boil all his warnings down to two main things. Be careful of your faith and be careful of your life. Keep a close watch on what you believe and keep a close watch on how you behave, how you, how you live. 
don't, don't add to the gospel in your thinking and don't add to the gospel in your living. Don't detract from it in your thinking. Don't detract from it in your living. Sin is real. The wrath of God is coming. The stakes couldn't be higher. Paul's given us the, the, the word of God, giving us these warnings. Our life depends, our spiritual life depends on heeding those warnings. So Paul warns, and we should warn also. Second thing Paul does, Paul teaches. He teaches what we are to believe about Christ. He teaches us about the glories and riches of Christ. He teaches us about how Christ is the, the Son of God and the Son of Man. He teaches us about how Christ is the one, the long-awaited uh, Christ, the Messiah who would come and save His people from their sins. Uh, he talks about how Christ is the one who died and rose again from the dead for our salvation, the one who frees us from death itself and brings us into, uh, into the hope of eternal life and resurrection and the resurrection at the last Day. teaches us all these things. teaches us about how to obey this Christ. This Christ who's poured out His Spirit on us that we might serve Him with all that is in us. So this is how, this is the method. Warning and teaching. Teaching about who Christ is. Teaching about how to live for Him. How are we supposed to respond to this, this, this word here about the warning and the teaching and all wisdom that, uh, that, that Paul is doing and that ministers should do and that you and I should be doing as well. Well, we need to say, if, if, if the, me- the message is coming through this method, through teaching, through words, um, then we need to ask ourselves if we're listening and heeding those words and obeying those words. Uh, this, this is really the nuts and bolts of discipleship. Listening to Christ and obeying Christ getting your mind and your heart and your hands and your feet trained by Christ. It starts with a sermon. Uh, starts with hearing God's word, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Um, hearing it preached especially. Um, question 89 of the Catechism says, How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Especially the preaching of the Word, God says. uh, The Catechism says there, reflecting the teaching of Scripture. So we need to be coming to the sermon ready to hear God's Word, ready with prayerful hearts to receive it. Lord, warn me, teach me, correct me, challenge me, rebuke me, train me, Lord. Show me Christ. Um, the next catechism question, question 90 says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? It says, the word, that the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. That, that's how we hear the word when we read it, when we hear it preached, when we read it on our own. We need to come prayerfully. And ready to be changed. We cannot come to the Word of God with hard hearts, refusing change. We need to come ready to be taught, ready to be uh, challenged and, and corrected and trained. But being a, a disciple of Christ doesn't end with the sermon or with, with reading, reading your Bible yourself. Uh, it's also a duty that we all have um, to warn and teach about Christ to one another as well. Um, in fact, Paul says this very thing in the, in the same letter here in Colossians, at the end, towards, towards the end, chapter 3.16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. He, so in chapter one, he's talking about how, how his method is teaching and warning and all wisdom. And then chapter three, he says, now teach and admonish one another with all wisdom by the word of Christ. Um, so discipleship is not just that all the pastor disciples people in the church or the elders disciple people in the church. That's true. And, and that, 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 that needs to happen. But discipleship is also for every Christian to do with every other Christian in the church. It's our duty to one another to be warning each other, teaching each other about Christ, having the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. I need to be encouraging and challenging you to greater faith, hope and love. And you need to be encouraging and challenging me to greater faith, hope and love and with one another as well. This is central to what our church is called to do, brothers and sisters. It's right there in the OPC Book of Church Order. Chapter two, paragraph four, the work of the church in fellowship with and obedience to Christ is divine worship, mutual edification, and gospel witness. Mutual edification, discipleship, building up one another in Christ by the word of God. That's the method. Our mission, to grow in discipleship, grow in maturity in Christ. Our message is Christ himself, and the method is teaching and warning each other by the word of Christ. Third thing we see in the verse here is Paul's audience. Who does Paul warn and teach in all wisdom? He says it three times in the verse so that we don't miss it. He says, uh, verse 28, he says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, that we may present every man mature in Christ. Uh, Paul's audience is every man. And by that, of course, he means every person. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Paul preaches Christ to everyone who will listen. He preaches Christ to strangers. He preaches them in the churches. And in the churches, he, he, he preaches, he preaches uh, with, with his eye on every single soul there. Notice, notice two things here, loved ones. First of all, how expansive this is. Right? He, the Colossians were being tempted by this false teaching, which says, you know, the, the real Christians are the elite few who get it and they know the inside information. But Paul is saying, no, we teach and preach and warn every man, every single one. It's, the gospel is for everyone. It's for the rich. It's for the poor, the Jews, the Gentiles. There, there's no elites. It's for everyone. One and the same Christ for everyone. His message is expansive. It's also targeted, isn't it? He preaches one and the same Christ. He doesn't have the same sermon, though, every city that he goes to or every, uh, every church that he goes to. When he goes to Corinth, when he goes to Athens, when he goes to Ephesus, when he goes to Thessalonica, when he goes to Berea, it's the same Christ, but he, he brings it in a slightly different way, applying it to the particular situation and the particular needs of those that, that are there to hear him. Um, he, he preaches Christ particularly. And here in verse 28, he says he's preaching and teaching and warning every man, every individual. So he's considering every person. What does this person need? How, how do they need to hear the word of Christ? How do they need to be warned and taught specifically by Christ? And loved ones, this is the kind of discipleship that we should see and pursue in, in our church. What does the whole body need? What does every individual in this church need? 
What does every man and woman and boy and girl need? What, what facet of the gospel, what part of Christ in his person and work does my brother or sister in Christ and the pew beside me need? What does each covenant child need? What, what, what does that high schooler need? What, what, what does that elderly person need? What does the shut-in need? Every man, every woman. The gospel's for all of them. Every single one in particular ways. And it's the job of the pastor and the elders to be thinking through this and, um, and ministering in, in light of this. But it's not just our job. It's also the job of every single member to be thinking of every other member in, in, in this way. Romans fifteen fourteen, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Expects us to instruct each other. Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews Hebrews 10.24.25 Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look around the church. You have a ministry to fulfill. Teaching, encouraging, warning one another. Giving one another the message that we proclaim, the Christ that we proclaim. Encourage one another in the faith. This is the calling every one of us has as a Christian. That's the audience. Final thing this morning, the aim. What is the aim of this ministry. We've, we've touched on it, discipleship or maturity in Christ. Um, Paul, Paul puts it very clearly in verse 28. He says at the end of the verse that the aim is that, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Quite a goal, Paul. <laughs> Perfection. It's um, quite a goal. Every single person in the church, perfect. Um, haven't you uh, heard of SMART goals, Paul? Uh, SMART goals, right? Goals should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. You're missing the achievable part, aren't you? That we can present every single person in the church. Perfect. Have you seen our church, Paul? Is, what, is Paul out of touch as he says this? His goal is perfection for every man and woman and boy and girl in the church everywhere. Not at all. Um, he's seen some messed up churches. Corinth, Galatia. Um, he, he's seen some trouble. Um, but as he writes verse 28, there is no sense at all of doubt that this is going to happen. Not, not the smallest hint of doubt or discouragement about this mission. His mission is to see every single Christian brought to perfect maturity in Christ. And, and Paul is dead serious about this. He thinks it's achievable. In fact, he seems to think there's no way it won't be achieved. Why? Because it's God's mission. Not really Paul's or, or ours. It's God's mission. And God has acted decisively in history to bring His people to maturity. Christ comes. 
God is acting in history. Pours out the Spirit. Right? God, God is saying, I'm bringing my church to maturity and perfection. Um, the, uh, the, the focus here in verse 28 is not so much about each individual in, 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 their, in, their, in, their, in their individual sanctification. That's included, but it's bigger than that. The view here is that the whole people of God, with the coming of Christ, the turning of the ages and the coming of Christ, God is bringing His people into the last days when He pours out His Spirit on them and brings them to, to maturity. And, and, and the point that all this is, is driving towards is that... Um, God has already done this in a sense. He's already perfected the church in a sense because He sent Jesus and Jesus is the church. He he is the true Israel, the people of God, the great representative of God's people who in Himself is perfect. And as He rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, He is achieving for us there everything that God designed for, for, for us to be. Sinless, glorified, resurrected, eternal life in the presence of God. As we read the word here, perfect, the, the, the word uh, means um, something brought to its complete end, its, its goal, right? Um, uh, uh, think of, think of a, an acorn is, is perfect when it is a full oak tree, right? Mature and majestic. Um, man is perfected. The church is perfected uh, when, when we are brought to all that God designed us to be, living forever in His presence, in our heavenly home. Um, and this is what Christ has achieved. He's been made perfect. And not just sinless. He is sinless, of course, but also standing there in the presence of God. Um, everything finished and complete. Everything reached its goal. And Christ did this for us. He didn't just do it for Himself. He did it for His church. He did it for you. He did it for me. So that one day, we also will be perfected. Brought, brought to that full maturity. This, this maturity process has begun, of course. Um, um, uh, the new life has begun in us. We're growing, but we're not there yet. But uh, in Christ, we'll one day be brought to glory and that process of maturity will be complete in us. We will step across the, the threshold into eternity and we'll be made sinless. We will rise again in the last day in Christ and be resurrected and we'll stand there with Him glorifying and praising God for all eternity with resurrected bodies made perfect. Every single member of His church. Perfect. A glorious, glorious thing to see that will be. Paul says, that's the aim of my ministry. That, that's, that's discipleship, really. Following Jesus and keeping on following Him until you're home. Perfect. Like Him. Even in resurrection life. That's the aim of our ministry. That's the aim of uh, the mission of our church. This discipleship. Following Jesus. Following Him. Learning step by step in this life until finally um, we're brought home to heaven and made perfectly like Him in every way. It's our mission in the church that every single person in this church would be faithful and growing in grace and following Christ on that path of discipleship, heading towards that maturity in Christ. That we wouldn't be content with the status quo. That we wouldn't be content with just an ambitiousless Christianity, but that we would press on in knowing Christ more and more. That we would see great growth in one another. Even in this life, great maturity in one another. And then at last, 
brought to that full completion by the work of Christ. What a day that will be when we see all that, all that God has done in us and in one another and we're brought to maturity in Him perfectly. There's no doubt about the mission um, and there's no doubt about the fact that God will complete what He's begun in doing this. And so we could be confident, relying on Him and the strength that He supplies uh, to pursue this mission, knowing, uh, knowing, knowing that we will, in Christ, be brought to glory. So brothers and sisters, let us be a church devoted to faithfully following Jesus, preaching Christ, teaching, warning everyone, man, woman, boy, girl, everyone in these pews, and encouraging one another more and more in Christ, and so that on the last day we all stand before Him by the grace of Christ, mature and perfect. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Gospel. Thank You for Your, your work in Christ. Thank You for Your work by Your Spirit. Father, we pray that you would grow us up in Christ in every way. Father, we pray that you would conform us to his image until we stand face to face with you, made like him in every way at last. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.